economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Luke Graham, producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. With us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. And finally, Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research. All right. Well, we uh, in our last podcast, or a few podcasts ago, we talked about church and state uh, to the degree where we had coaches praying on the field, and uh, you know, I guess abortion's been a hot topic. Um, so uh, we thought today would be a nice to get into kind of a, a little more faith-oriented topic with the separation of church and state. And Dr. Jacobson, you want to lead us through some of the, your thoughts on this? Sure. So I actually don't have any like specific agenda in mind. I think there's a few different ways that we can tackle this topic. And I, I think the Gordon Institute, before I was here, uh, did do a podcast on this topic. And so I encourage listeners to go back and listen to that, see if uh, Justin and Russ are consistent or if they're failures. <laughs> uh, I'm not on it, so you can't. Oh, I didn't know this was going to be a test. Um, but my, so I, I guess what I wanted to talk about today is, you know, in the modern conversation there, you've heard a lot lately. In fact, this was a huge agenda, you know, uh, the, the agenda was set with the sort of tone of the Supreme Court is tearing down the separation of church and state one brick at a time. I read this a variations of this headline like 50 times over the last week. Mm-hmm. I didn't read any of the articles because they all say the same thing. But uh, I think this is an interesting topic. Uh, and so I think we can go a few different ways. First off, I think there is a an open question. Is it the law that there must be a separation between ter- church and state? I think that is the first question that we should ask. To what extent in the United States is it actually the case that the church and state need to be separate? And what does that look like? Uh, What does it mean for church and state to be legally separate uh, in a true sense? And then uh, another question is, should it actually be the law? Uh, That is, if it's not, should it be? Or if it is, should it not be? Uh, So I think this is another way that we can approach it. And so I'm fine with other topics, too. I'm more than happy to hear, you know, go off in different directions about specific cases or things like that. I have a lot of thoughts on this. But yeah. Well, I think maybe the why would be good. I don't know. Justin, you want to lead us through a little bit of the history on the the why from a philosophy angle? Well, um, so I guess to do that, we can even maybe answer some of these questions about, you know, is it the law that there's a separation of church and state? And the answer to that is no, Um, at least not in in with those words. Separation of church and state is a philosophic principle, right? Um, And uh, what people usually mean when they talk about the separation of church and state is they point to like the first amendment, which says Congress shall make no law respecting or establishing a religion, right? Yeah, Um, establishment of religion. Yeah, Um, so that is the law, right? And that is, I take it, the law that is supposed to affect the philosophical principle of separation of church and state because separation of church and state itself is kind of vague right what do you mean separate do they just have to be in different buildings um can there not be a church in the state 
And so I take it that uh, the First Amendment was um, an attempt to codify the kind of separation between church and state that they found um, that uh, they found desirable. So, so like, uh, thou shall not steal is in my Bible. And so me wanting to go to the state and say, hey, I think this should be a law, you know, is that is that where it starts to get blurred that we want to bring some of our maybe moral based principles that we get from our religion and make them law? Uh, is that where it gets kind of blurred? Do you well, think, well I, I, Russ, on this, I would say that I think that it has become a talking point recently uh, that people sh- apparently should not even vote with their own beliefs about morality in mind, right? It seems to be some of the implication that you shouldn't use your votes to impose your religious beliefs. And if you do, that's a violating the separation of church and state. I think even more fundamentally... Only I mean, for some religions. <laughs> yeah, only for some religions, right? <laughs> I, I think even more fundamentally, though, that I, I am very skeptical of the idea that there is a separation of church and state in a, like, a legal sense. Uh, my, my take on this goes back to, I mentioned this last week, there are states historically that have actually established state religions in the United States. Maryland famously did this. Uh, you know, Maryland was uh, founded on the basis of fleeing Protestant persecution of Catholics, right? Uh, and so for a long time in Maryland, the state religion of Maryland was Catholic. Was this, uh, you know, against the law? The answer is no, uh, because it wasn't the federal government imposing the state religion. Yeah. And so I think the separation of church and state is actually much thinner. Uh, the establishment of religion means literally that. It means you cannot pass a law saying everybody in the United States has to be this religion. And as far as I can tell, that is the only thing that's forbidden by the First Amendment. But you're saying everybody in the state of Kansas must be this religion is possible? I I think according to like an originalist or true originalist interpretation, yes. Now, I think the way things have been taken by the court nowadays, that wouldn't be the case. I think the court has basically decided, no, the Constitution applies to the states too. I think even if that's true, though, the only thing that the Constitution says is that it's not legal for a government, federal or state, to say you have to be religion X. I don't think prohibit religion Y. Yeah, you can't be religion Y. I don't think there's anything else to what the First Amendment says. I don't think it's any more or any less. Yeah, uh, I've I've got no argument with that. Again, like separation of church and state, that phrase, you know, comes from Jefferson who wrote, uh, you know, he wanted to erect a wall of separation between church and state, but Jefferson got it from Locke. And again, this idea that that, that means that, you know, people can't be religious in public or that kind of thing. It's, that's just not yeah. what the law, the law as written meant. Um, and the only way to get that is by this wildly wide reading of the philosophical principle, which isn't itself the law. Uh, yeah. And by the way, <clears throat> excuse me, to listeners there, uh, whether, you know, sympathetic or not to my interpretation, I am not really a big fan of incorporating like specifics of of my religion of Christianity into the government's workings. I, I don't really think that that is good for my uh, belief system. And maybe it's good for government. I don't know. I don't care. But it's not good for my belief system. So I'm not interested in it. The blurry line now comes in. Uh, and I, I, I side on the side of something like this is OK legally. But the blurry line comes in. Well, what about setting up a Ten Commandments monument in a courthouse or something like that? Like this is where uh, the question gets a little bit more complicated. And this is where you see like lawsuits happen is 
to what extent is using public money from taxpayers to fund a monument that only is, you know, uh, something that people of a certain religion like, to what extent is that action violating this establishment of a state religion? Or spending money to take it down. How about that? Yeah. Or one that we built a hundred years ago plus. Sure. And now should we spend taxpayer money to bring it down? Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, this is another question. Now, again, my view on this is I, I think the First Amendment is pretty narrow. I think if you look at history, there was plenty of this stuff done in the past that was apparently totally constitutional at the time. I don't think that that's unconstitutional. I don't think it's illegal. I don't even necessarily think it should be illegal. But I think that generally the idea is, yes, that that sort of thing is not allowed. Why do you say it wouldn't be good for your religion in general, I guess, Christianity in general, for it to be somehow mandatory? I think a lot of people have that perception that, oh, you just want to shove your religion or make it law or whatever. Why, why do you make that claim? Yeah, well, and I'm not even opposed. To, uh, let me kind of make a clear distinction. I'm not totally opposed to like legislation that supports my morality either. And let me bring an extreme into this because that's easier to deal with mentally. It could be a principle of an imaginary religion out there that it's actually okay to murder people, that there's nothing inherently wrong with murder. Uh, and it wouldn't be anti that religion, or maybe it would be, and it would be fine to say, actually, because my you know religion says that murder is wrong, uh, we should make it illegal. Now you could appeal and say, well, there's other systems that say murder is wrong. That's not religion. That's fine. But the point is the reason I'm against murder is because it's my religious system that says I should be against murder. That, that's why I am personally. And so uh, I'm actually not opposed to legislating my morality in certain circumstances. I think murder should be illegal. I think what I'm doing when I make murder illegal is saying, I think that my view of the world and morality is correct. And I think that it's best for that view to be reflected in law in this specific case. But I don't think that's always true. I don't want there to be a big association between uh, the U.S. government and the Bible. I, I don't like that association. Why? Because the U.S. government stinks. It's really bad at everything it does. It's done a lot of terrible things. It's very incompetent while being very, over time, malicious. Uh, I don't want that association to exist uh, because I think it makes my religion look worse. And so personally, I still like there to be aspects that are separate. But I also don't want to pretend like I'm not okay in certain circumstances with legislating uh, the morality I have, which stems from my religion. Well, and your, your morality with that extreme is shared with atheists also. I think most atheists would say, yeah, I, I'm against killing, whatever my world, world view is. And then so my point with that is that it comes back to some sort of democracy, right? If, if, if the majority of people feel a certain way, whether that's shared or not shared, with your particular religion, the fact that the majority thinks it's the way, that's that's what our whole system's built on, right? I, I think that that, you, well. even well, <laughs> you, even though you're right that atheists share that principle, whether or not I think that that principle, whether or not I think that should think should be illegal is independent of whether or not other people think that uh, that should be wrong. So I, there is imaginably some moral principle that I think it's fine to legislate on that atheists disagree with me about. Uh, and I think that would be fine if that's the case. Like, I wouldn't feel like I'm a bad person uh, because I'm enforcing my beliefs on others because I believe my beliefs are right. Uh, and I believe like there's a right and wrong way to do things. And even if 50% or 75% or 90% or everybody else in the world disagrees with that, you know, that I, 
the fact that I have that belief is evidence that I believe that belief is correct, right? <laughs> so, and Justin, you were going to say something. Yeah, uh, our system is not a democracy. It wasn't <laughs> set up to enforce the will of the the majority. Um, the even just if we just take the American uh, system by its founding documents, um, it was founded to ensure these rights um, that all men have, right? Which these are supposed to be natural rights. Um, they come from either cre our creator or nature, um, depending on your reading of that. But um, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Yeah. And the idea is that those things are not subject to the will of the majority, right? What we agree on is which clown we put the hat on and let them try to uh, run this system that tries to protect those those rights, right? So, I, I mean, I think really though, I, I agree with both of you that uh, this idea that we can somehow, you know, when people say, you know, don't legislate your morality, that's absolutely nonsensical. Um, whenever you try to come up with any set of rules or legislation that the first things you legislate are those most important moral questions about, you know, okay, uh, how do we exist with each other so that we don't get, uh, so that we don't end up killing each other? Um, you know, thou shalt not kill is the first one on almost everybody's list, right? Um, and the idea that somehow we can leave our morality out of uh, legislation doesn't even make any sense. Mm -hmm. uh, what we want to do, this is why we we have moral arguments before we answer most legislative questions. We want to figure out whether or not killing is immoral and when killing is immoral before we write the laws about, uh, you know, and uh, for punishments for killing. We go, we go okay, yeah, thou shalt not kill. And then, okay, but wait a minute. What if you're being attacked, right? What if somebody's breaking into your house? So then we have this moral discussion about, okay, well, it would be morally permissible to kill um, if somebody was threatening your family, right? And so then we, we uh, try to make our legislation such that it awards penalties for those killings that are the immoral ones. Um, it's impossible to do legislation without doing morality first. Um, there are some small cases like which side of the road we want to drive on where it's there actually isn't an immoral side of the road to drive on, right? And yeah. it is a coordination problem. <laughs> yeah. uh, so there are these very few cases where sure. things become immoral after we do the legislation, right? Like the driving sure, thing. Sure. Yeah. But for most cases, yeah. we want our legislation to reflect morality. It's not the case that we answer the moral question after we answer the legislative question. Yeah. And so it's one, it's interesting, and I know we're going to get to a break here. I think we could talk about this after break. It's interesting that if you take the, what's going on in, in basically the progressive spheres that are spheres, excuse me, uh, this line of thinking that not the spheres, maybe they have spheres, I don't know. Uh, this line of thinking that, well, if it's the case that your morality is derived from your religion, then you are not allowed to act politically on that morality. One of the interesting things is like the result from that is going to be very clear. It's that if you are a religious person, you're actually not allowed to be involved in the majority of legislation because that would imply, according to you're this mind, that you're, you're imposing your religion on others, <laughs> yeah. right? You need to be recuse yourself or something. Whereas if you're a secular person, uh, you know, you are 
uh, able to participate fully because your you know, morals are derived from something else other than a religion. So we can see already, like this is obviously a perversion of what the First Amendment means. The First Amendment was not that only people who don't believe in God or who don't subscribe to a belief system are allowed to make laws. Uh, that would be insane if the founders had said that. Literally, they would have been lynched in the streets by, the, by angry mobs. I mean, this would have been a nightmare for them to come out with this. No one would have liked this. Uh, in fact, a lot of the founders wouldn't have. So clearly this is going in the wrong direction. I think after the break though, we should talk about whether or not uh, this is even still relevant, uh, the idea of a separation of church and state, or if we as a society have moved on somewhere else. All right, well, that sounds like a good cliffhanger. We'll be back in just a bit. The Gourney Institute at Otto University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing faith in economics and action. If you or someone you know is looking for a college like that, contact Peter or Russ today. The Gordon Institute is happy to be offering a summer economics course. It's an informal course for homeschoolers in the Ottawa area. It's open to other students as well, but the primary group that will be attending is uh, people who homeschool. If you're interested in this short course that will occur through July and August, please reach out to Peter Jacobson today. Ottawa University has an exciting new major, PPE, that stands for Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. Um, it's a great way to uh, get a well-rounded education in these three topics, and these three topics intersect with each other in very interesting ways. So if you are um, interested in philosophy but want to make sure that you have a practical application for that philosophy, integrating philosophy with Politics and economics is awesome. And if you want to learn economics, but you don't want to end up like Russ or Peter uh, <laughs> as, you know, an economics professor or then, uh, you know, having an economics degree that's mixed with politics and philosophy is also a great idea. So if you have any questions, please email me or Russ or Peter. We have some great opportunities here at the Gordon Institute at Ottawa University for high school students. We have a microeconomics class that's college level credit, only $200 that's available for high school uh, juniors and seniors are who we're targeting for that. Please contact us if you want to learn more there. In the fall, we have a huge PPE fest where we're going to have special speakers uh, like Jim Gortney uh, speaking to students and also participating in some of our academic events, which we do have scholarships for. So please contact us if you want more information on those today. Okay, so we're back. <clears throat> so Luke, uh, you wanted to kick us off. You said some interesting things on the break here on combining church and state or something or whether they are already. Yeah, it just seems like based off what Peter was saying and with the argument against having religion within government, that it's already there because where presidents are sworn on through the Bible, uh, on the bills, we have in God we trust. So it seems like they're just trying to ignore it instead of actually addressing the issue. Yeah, it's kind of naturally been infused over time. Uh, now, I've, I've heard people say, like, well, we've always been a Christian nation. And, and the truth is, I don't think we ever were, really. Um, we were a majority, but never, never codified in a sense, right? That's the whole church and state part, is that we, we didn't have one state Christian church ever, um, in, in nationwide anyway. For the, as you mentioned with the Maryland examples, we had some states doing some things very early on. Uh, but it's certainly been infused. I do think, uh, are we a Christian nation? I do think that the 
primary intellectual influence that's responsible for the country is ultimately rooted in Christian thinking. And so like there is maybe a sense in which like we could realistically say America is or was built as a Christian nation. Now, I don't think that means that America is the Christian a, principles, though, right? Uh, I don't think you can divorce the principles and the beliefs. I, I don't think those things are separable. Uh, I don't. Was think it Benjamin Franklin was a deist, right? Where he just had a yeah, but a, I, I I think a lot of them were. Jefferson, I think, was a deist too. He famously has like a Jefferson Bible where he cut out all cut the miracles out. and everything. Yeah. Uh, but actually, you can't cut out the miracles. Jefferson can take his knife to the Bible all he wants, but like. <laughs> the beliefs of the Bible or the teachings of the Bible came out of what actually occurred in the biblical times. You don't have one without the other. Uh, so to me, uh, these are actually non-separable things. There is a sense in which without Christianity, the literal person of Christ, you do not get to have the Christian beliefs. I don't believe they would have sprung up independently uh, or that they could have been recreated independently. But I, I do agree, Russ, with the sentiment that I'm not interested in the United States, uh, and it has never been a country where everyone is required to be Christian. Uh, I think that's the the true sense in which the, the First Amendment uh, holds, is that as a, a nation, uh, we don't have a, a national, you know, required religion or anything like that. But I agree, Luke, anyone who is kind of like this purist of, well, we can't have the government's involved with religion and or belief in God or anything in any way, shape or form, they have to basically be someone who's sort of like a judicial activist type who doesn't value precedent at all. Because if you look historically, there's tons of precedent for an infusement of religion and religious beliefs in governments. Uh, and to ignore that, you basically just have to say, well, they are were wrong for, you know, the first 200 years of America's existence, or I guess not. Uh, well, yeah, about the first 200 years of America's existence, and now we're enlightened today, and we figured out that they're wrong. So I, I think that there is evidence that uh, this was not always the belief system that they have to be totally disentangled. There's, um, when you mentioned, you know, the swearing on the Bible, and uh, it seems like that there's, there are very serious things that a state has to do. And when a state has to do serious things, it demands of its citizens that they recognize that they're acting seriously, right? Um, and so what the state usually does in those case, cases is to try to introduce at least some element of, for lack of a better word, the sacred, right? And even though we might not have been a Christian nation, we were a nation of Christians. Yes. And so what is going to be sacred to those to those people are the sacred items from their religion. And so it would make sense that we, you know, swear on the Bible. But uh, I think there are affordances in the law for, uh, you know, you do swear on another religious text if you'd like. And I think that's a perfectly clear and consistent uh, reading of the First Amendment. Um, you know, you swear on your sacred text or whatever. And for most people, historically, that has been the Bible. Um, so I don't. And what's also what that also brings out, I think, is that I think it's going to be very, very difficult to remove all elements of the sacred from the workings of the state. And this brings me to my point that uh, that Peter was bringing up in the first half, which is like, well, it seems like when you say that, uh, you know, you shouldn't be able to vote or religiously, you're really just trying to cite to make it the case that only people who aren't religious get to influence policy, right? Um, and I think this is a really, uh, you can make this 
argument a real dilemma for people who want to do that, right? Because the only way to legislate is to try to have a discussion about values, right? And to figure out what we ought to do. You legislate doing ought questions. And so to legislate, you have to have answers to those value questions. And if you are religious, at least part of your answers to those value questions are going to come from your religion, which is uh, a historically situated body of beliefs, right? If you aren't religious, you're going to have to answer those value questions in a different way. And it's unclear how you do answer those questions that way, because it's not the case that science gives us the answer to those questions, right? There aren't scientific answers to those questions. So it's- To, to value questions, moral questions. Yeah, okay. uh, to value moral questions, um, and especially to questions about moral principles, right? The, the <clears throat> vaguest and, and most general questions. So sometimes this, uh, people say things like, well, why should we have our laws uh, be based on the, these religious systems, which are historical uh, bodies of knowledge. These beliefs are so old. That's crazy. But the rejoinder there is, well, wait a minute. If they're not coming from the religious uh, source, where are they coming from? And the, so you can parry this question back and say, if it's not the religious source, then it seems like your choice of beliefs is arbitrary. Um, because you can't get the answer to these questions uh, from a microscope or a particle accelerator, right? And so that's a problem uh, for somebody who is secular, but says, uh, you know, I don't want the religious people to be able to, um, to have their morals uh, govern the system. And a further argument for the moral, uh, for morals being at least grounded somewhat in religion um, people at, like to think that because these rules are old, they are dumb or whatever, right? But actually the opposite is the case, right? The reason these uh, rules have survived for so long is that they have, even if you want to leave the spirituality out of it altogether, they have proved successful for organizing society for a very long yeah. time. And they ought to be thrown away very, uh, very carefully, if at all. I think one thing we haven't touched on is that uh, I think a lot of the separation of church and state initially came from Protestant versus Catholic uh -huh. and then various variations. So the whole put your hand on the Bible, well, of course, that applied to Catholics and Protestants alike. And, and uh, um, I, I don't know what the fraction of the Muslim population was back in 1776, but I assume it was microscopic, if not close to zero. Um, so they didn't have those issues that we have today. It's not to say that it couldn't change, but you made me think of Max Weber's uh, Protestant work ethic that a lot of what uh, his hypothesis was that uh, America looks the way it does because we had a lot of good things come out of vocation and charitable giving and other things with the um, early Protestants that settled here. Yeah. Well, I, I, Justin and I have talked about this too. At some point, I first off, I agree, Russ, <clears throat> this... Uh, this separation of church and state doctrine, uh, which is actually just the no establishment of religion doctrine in the First Amendment, uh, that was created in the context of the dominating forces in people's lives being either the Catholic Church or whichever Protestant group was in charge of the country. And so when the pilgrims are fleeing England, they're fleeing a set of laws which are designed to hurt Puritans, for example, uh, specifically targeting 
and uh, harming their religion. This isn't really a force that operates in the West anymore, uh, on my view. There are not major pow church powers out there who are destroying people's lives. You know, uh, the Catholic Church, for example, uh, by issuing an edict is not controlling people's lives. They can't even convince their own members in authority positions to hold the same position as the church, right? <laughs> and there, there's no real punishment coming down from official religions anymore. Yeah. Uh, the extent to which there is, it tends to be like local, as maybe you're involved with the local church and Joel yeah. Austin. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the social ties in your life are such that it would be unpleasant for you to leave or something. But like unpleasant is maybe like the, the maximum amount. I think we have to be honest with ourselves and point out that humanity as a whole, uh, and there's an argument that maybe they were never there, but humanity as a whole has moved away from religion being at least traditional religions being the dominating forces in their lives. In fact, I would say uh, that basically what we have moved towards is uh, the rise of what, what I would call secular religions or a secular religion. Uh, that is, there are, are groups or sets of beliefs that people have that are maybe inspired or changed slightly from different religions. Uh, but ultimately there's some dogmas that people hold to. In this house, we believe, right? Uh, this, here's our belief statement, here we go. Yeah. Uh, and if it's okay for us to separate church and state because church and state, you know, church has this powerful influence over people's lives and we need to keep that out of politics. There's no reason why saying God says this is any different from saying that, well, this is an immutable truth, that truth that I love myself and I'm going to, you know, embrace myself. Why does the word God change anything there? On well, my view, it doesn't. Uh, these are two ideologies. Uh, both of them could be enforced in a violent way and probably we need to be careful with them. Uh, but in reality, one of them has a lot more power than the other in today's world. Yeah. And when people, you know, accusingly say, you know, well, your morality comes from your religion. Uh, rejoinder is yes so is yours right yeah. uh, you just don't think it's a religion that's right yeah well what if yeah actually what's funny is like you I think you guys are talking about like environmentalism if sure you're, that, if you're that, right, that's some sort of humanist or yeah secular humanist you know uh, this isn't super new either no um gosh who's the uh anarchist the go on its own i forget max, max, sterner. max sterner max sterner famously wrote in like the 1800s about how secular humanism was becoming the new official religion of humanity this isn't a super new idea, and it's, it's true. Uh, you know, it's funny because in Protestant circles, Protestant circles, especially evangelical circles, are sometimes made fun of because they'll say like, oh, we're not religious. Like, this isn't a religion, it's a relationship. You hear that all the time in Christian circles is, I'm not religious, I have a relationship with Jesus. Two, two totally other different things, right? And you could argue with that person and say, no, you are religious, uh, but why? Why do you get to argue with that person saying, no, you are religious, but not someone who holds beliefs for some other reason? Is it the word God? Is that what makes a religion? Uh, then, you know, all someone has to do is say, I don't believe in God. I believe in this cosmic force that's really powerful uh, and is the source of <laughs> the a lot force. of things and creations. And it's totally scientific. We haven't gotten there yet, but we're going to. I mean, you just have to dance around the word. Uh, what you realize is that underneath these two belief systems is something similar uh, and something that legitimately does hold, pose danger to, to certain people. I, I agree with that aspect. It can be perverted and used wrongly. So I wanted to circle back a little bit to uh, the, in the first half, we talked about Christianity and you thought uh, <clears throat> it would hurt your religion, uh, whether it's Christianity or a particular denomination. But 
And, and I think it comes down to the voluntary nature of Christianity that we don't want it to be by force. You're not going to become a Christian by having it be the law of the land. Um, and so I think freedom is a, an important essential element to us practicing our religion. And so I think people really do go wrong when they uh, either, whether it's Christians who want to see more of the law be Christian or uh, other people thinking that that's what we want when it's certainly not what I want. I think the freedom part is very important. I do think there's a difference though between wanting people to freely choose a religion and therefore not establishing a state religion and people wanting to behave a certain way, which meshes with your religion. Again, uh, I have no problem saying that I am against murder. And the reason I'm against murder is because my religious beliefs. And I also think that murder should be uh, something that's legislatively banned or, or, you know, whatever, enforced against. And so when a Christian says that about some other set of beliefs they have, I tend to not agree with them. But the reason is not because, you know, I think enforcement of morals should be only voluntary. Uh, because there's cases where I don't think it should be. I think there are cases when, no, I think it's okay to use force, whether it's government or just, you know, personal force to stop someone from doing a thing, uh, aggression being the easiest case, but maybe there are other cases too. Uh, I'm not opposed to that idea in principle. I am opposed though, like Russ said, in principle to someone saying, you have to be a Christian and here's my gun. And uh, I actually don't think that uh, that's possible. I think it's, it'd be a contradiction to force someone to be a Christian. So prayer in school, I think, was a Supreme Court case, um, you know, not doing the Pledge of Allegiance, One Nation Under God. Uh, those have been some court cases early on. And I, I wanted to bring up the idea of the voucher charter school type system. And I think there's other things that are, are positive moves to allowing people more freedom to choose where and how they practice their religion, which now would, with a, with a school choice type model, uh, would include that, that I want to send my kids to this school because it's a good school. Maybe even I'm an atheist because I've seen this plenty too, where uh, non-believers or uh, maybe non-Catholics, for instance, uh, will send their kids to the Catholic school because it's a good school. And then, of course, they do end up having to say prayers and and otherwise. So, I mean, what are your feelings on that, on, on the, the state-run schools being secularized, but at the same time allowing freedom through maybe charter systems or other things. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how Justin <laughs> feels about this. My view is that we already had religion in schools uh, before this happens. We've always had it and we always will have it. And I don't mean Catholicism or, or you know, Protestant Christianity. I mean, when you create a school, you have to answer the value questions that you answer with legislation too. Uh, even down to curriculum, what you select for your curriculum says something about the things you believe. Is math in your curriculum? Is science in your curriculum? Uh, why? Why not uh, Chinese? Why not uh, basket weaving? Um, you know, why, why does your curriculum take the form it does? To answer that question, you need to answer questions of values. Public school system, the public school system is imbued with values. The question is whose values uh, is it imbued with? But I don't think it's unique from religious schools in any really big fundamental way. Again, I think the fact that we think that it is, is a historical artifact of the power that churches used to have over people's lives. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, you know, one of the things I really remember, I went to a Catholic high school um, and I went to 
a public elementary and junior high school. Um, and I thought the education I got at the Catholic high school was excellent, even though the funding for that school was terrible. It was like we had the worst desks. And, you know, the, um, so <laughs> interesting. A lot of people think private high schools are like much nicer, but this, it was like being educated in a garbage dump. Part of it. <laughs> part of it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, in my very well-funded uh, elementary school, I remember one of the things that, you know, seemed to be rammed down my throat in the 90s was recycling. I can still remember this god awful recycle rap that we had to uh, <laughs> as a kid you know, rah, 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 recycle 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 now there's nothing to it if you just know how like i have the whole thing it's still in there right um that's not science that's not a science class that's a kind of like religious song that they yeah. make kids sing mm-hmm. um and uh somebody did make that decision and it did reflect somebody's values so this idea that um these schools aren't uh, that that religious schools are indoctrination centers, but public schools um, are beacons of knowledge. Mm-hmm. This is not a distinction that um, stands up to the light of day. Yeah, there, I, I would even go so far as to say is there's probably no such thing as a neutral education. Like a, that's probably a myth. If there is, it would look like allowing someone to do exactly what they want, nothing else. So like unschooling. Uh, I know yeah. you all have talked to a, like a homeschooling or yeah. unschooling person before. Maybe that's a neutral education. But even that is imbued with the idea that kids should select their own uh, things that they want to learn. I mean, that, yeah. that's a value judgment value. too. Maybe, yeah. I think a neutral education is a contradiction in terms. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say one last thing. Uh, Final I, word. Here we go. Because I, I want to break down like the last. If there's anyone still clinging to this idea of no, we can still have like this uh, neutral thing that everyone agrees on. Uh, I made a joke on Twitter the other day. A really popular belief system among people who want to appear neutral is something called effective altruism. Effective altruism is the idea that you should spend your money and your time and your resources in such a way that it helps the most people. And the way that's often interpreted is <laughs> saves the most lives. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, this gets us close to Justin's principle from permissible partiality and like there's like lots of fun stuff Sounds to talk like about variation of altruism. yeah to a certain extent and so one of the big you know jokes or not jokes one i mean i made a joke about it one of the big things that these people will support which isn't so bad in itself is this idea like you should give the most money to save lives because saving lives seems like the obvious most good and so the against malaria foundation which is a great charity i'm going to say uh is often pointed to as the best thing that you can give your money to because it's like Two thousand or so dollars, and you can life save a life. Buck. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I made this joke on Twitter, and it, uh, it's kind of like a there's a little bit of irony imbued, so I won't explain exactly. But I said I believe in effective altruism, and what that means is making disciples of all nations. And so my my, <laughs> my my point with that is like as soon as you accept that like there are other things that you value, for me it's like does a person have salvation for all eternity? Uh, you know, there actually are things we could imagine are more valuable than simply saving a life. Not that saving a life is bad then, but if we want to talk like dollar per year of life saved, like this becomes a really <laughs> easy calculation for me as a Christian. There is no Infinity. neutral morality. Uh, you, you don't get to say that like, well, your morality is great. You can keep it yourself, but this is the one that is like the science, the objective, the best. Uh, and maybe you can all have your side moralities. Uh, it doesn't exist. Um, all moralities are fundamentally in tension with each other. They're arguing for, for separate beliefs and set, they value separate things. 
uh, and you don't get to like declare yours as the best and the one that is the true one and all the others get to be like fun side projects. <laughs> so that's all I have to say. All right. Well, that looks like a good place to wrap. I'd like to thank you all for listening to this production of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University. If you have a way to rank us with a five-star rating that helps other people find us or just pass it along via email or other social media. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.